2020 has been a year of disappointments. Some big, some small, some merely annoying, and some devastating. Add on a constant layer of uncertainty, the economic choices we all make are much harder than they were in the before times. If you're lucky enough to be a San Diegan with a job that lets you work from home, what do you do when working from home isn't working for you? Here's what one reporter did. For the San Diego Union-Tribune, I'm Daniel Wheaton, and this is your San Diego News Fix. Brittany Myling, you're a business reporter for the San Diego Union-Tribune, and you wrote a column, which is something you don't normally do, but you made a big personal decision recently. Walk us through your struggles with work from home, and why did you decide to finally take the jump and get your own office space? Um, You know, first of all, I'll say that um, I think that I definitely I've learned since I published this column, I'm not the only one that struggles with working from home. But I do think that because I don't have a lot of the same difficulties as other people, for example, I don't have any young children yet. And so I don't have like a distracted workplace per se. I kept fighting that that need or desire to have my own separate workspace. I thought you don't need that. You're fine. Um, With time, I realized that for me personally, structure, um, a variance in my day, a change in environment was not just a little bit important. It was kind of everything for me. Like I found that when I didn't have the structure and in the, um, the phases of my day where I'm in a separate space, I get up early in the morning and get ready and I pack a healthy lunch and all that kind of stuff. What happened was I would sit in one room for 10 hours at the end of the day, I didn't want to be in my apartment anymore. And so I would find any excuse to get out. And often that excuse was get takeout or, you know, get something that was kind of unhealthy. I ended up making a lot of unhealthy choices. I stopped exercising. I started eating a lot of junk food and the loss of structure. It, it kind of had a domino effect of negativity in my life. And so that's, I'm, honestly, that's the main reason that I, I needed the office space is I wanted that structure back and that change in my environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, like, one of the things you're hearing about like how to stay mentally healthy during these times is finding a routine and structure. And it's hard to do when your world gets shrunk to just your neighborhood and your apartment. Yes. And you know, something that some advice you get a lot, like if you Google or, you know, someone, you know, is trying to give you a webinar on the topic, people often say, well, try and set up a space that's separate from your, you know, from your home. And even if that's just a bedroom where you can close the door or a designated space, that is your workspace. And then, you know, set this time period of when work starts and when work ends. And I found that that wasn't helpful to me at all. I had tried putting my desk in different areas of the house and creating a separate space. But the truth is you're still within the four walls of your apartment or your house. And uh, the con- the contextual, you know, change never happens. So you're still having lunch in your kitchen. You're still, you know, not really seeing daylight the first 10 hours of your day because you have no reason to leave. Um, so I think I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with uh, to just like, you know, well, you can just close your, your door and, and call that your office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember reading a piece. I don't remember from who. I feel bad for not citing my sources. But basically it argued that we need these liminal spaces, these kind of 
like literal divisions between our day, be it, you know, commuting, taking a bus or taking the trolley or something like that. Like you need those separations because that's when your mind actually kind of records memory. And when you lose that, everything turns into a blob. So this whole time doesn't feel real in pandemic is because we've lost that liminal space to our brains. We're living the same day constantly. It's like Groundhog Day, but without the repeat. I'm so glad you brought that up because my husband's actually reading a book uh, called Moonwalking with Einstein. And it's about like how you can be better with memory. But one point that he makes is when you don't have any environmental, like physical changes in your environment, your brain starts to put everything into like the subconscious category. And so you're not like actively really thinking about what you're doing anymore. And what happens when you don't leave your environment or your apartment for days on end, like you said, is you start living in existence that's not worth remembering. It's just a big blur. And, um, and I found that, that that wasn't good for my mental health and it also wasn't good for my physical health. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, one of the things that I missed the most from the pre-pandemic times was, you know, I'd usually go to, you know, a couple restaurants or breweries pretty consistently and talking up with some regulars. And it was just nice to just like have a conversation, not about news and journalism, just something different. And like those kind of moments are the ones that I really miss the most uh, that we aren't able to have right now. Yeah, it allows your life to be, uh, you know, to, to be more than just, you know, your work self, you know, and I found that not having that division it wasn't like, oh, I need to get away from work because it's so stressful. It wasn't so much that. It was that I feel like I had lost a bit of my identity. And that was like the home life, Brittany, because my work had just become such a part of my home space that when I would sit down to dinner with my husband, we wouldn't talk about the things we used to talk about. It was like we were only talking about work all the time um, and, and not cooking at home because I was wanting to get out of the house so much. I would go pick out, t- you know, pick up takeout. I stopped cooking and that used to be a big part of my identity as well. So I kind of felt like all that there was, was work for me. Mm-hmm. So when you finally decided to make this decision, how hard was it to find a location? Can you kind of walk us through the kind of, you know, series of decisions you had to make in order to find the space you're currently in? Yeah, I, I do think I had a bit of an advantage because of being a business reporter. I'm really familiar with, uh, I was really familiar with the state of the, com- like the commercial real estate market going in. And it's one of the reasons I had the idea in the first place. My colleague, uh, Mike Freeman, had written a story, I think it's been a couple months now, about how commercial real estate was really suffering because a lot of businesses, a lot of companies were choosing to abandon their office space. And lots of them decided, you know what, we don't want to keep this at all. It's too expensive and we're working just fine at home. So let's sublease that space. And so now you have this huge influx of available space for sublease on the market. And completely separate from that is the world of co-working, uh, which is the whole concept there is to be kind of community oriented. And they're much more uh, familiar with having re- uh, tenants that are kind of month to month, not signing like long-term leases. And they kind of target startups, independent professionals, that sort of thing as a place to come work with community. They were suffering a lot as well because their occupancy went down 75%, 90% to some of the places I talked to. So when I started calling around, they tell you, you can come in and schedule a tour appointment of the office spaces. These, these places were ghost towns, um, some more than others, but like the new novel co-working in uh, downtown San Diego, they had an entire floor of private offices, small private offices, that were completely empty. I think she said there was 52 offices and only seven, 57 offices and only seven of those spaces were leased to individuals. Mm. And so what is the space that you settled on? Uh, can you describe kind of your lease and like what you're exactly getting? Yeah, so this, 
I'm working out of a, a co-working space called Downtown Works. And like many co-working spaces, they have a, a mix of private offices that have doors and everything. Um, flex desks, which is like you can take your laptop and you can work anywhere. And then dedicated desks that are out in the open. And as you can imagine, those last two options aren't super popular right now. People don't want to be in shared spaces as much. And as a result, the whole idea of co-working has kind of been less popular. So when um, I actually used to rent a space here when I was uh, working for an East Coast news company, but living in San Diego. And I, I had the same issue. I wanted to work in an office. And so I, I paid for my own desk space. So I was already familiar with the office manager. And when I came in, she showed me that so much of the space had been kind of abandoned. There was a whole floor of empty offices. And so here they have a range of prices. And to be honest, I was hesitant to put anything in the article because she told me that they're changing frequently and mm -hmm. that they're starting to see an uptick in demand like right now. So whatever I say right now may not be accurate when someone goes and looks. But I know that the, that if you're just getting like a dedicated desk, it can be as low as I think maybe 250, maybe 300. And then if you're getting a really small office space, it's more like 400, 450. And then, you know, if you're getting a bigger office with a window and stuff, you're talking uh, quite a bit more. Like it can get up to $1,500, $2,000 a month. And right now, because there is so much excess space, they're like, you know, you can pretty much be wherever you want to be because there's no one else here. But once we have a company that wants that prime spot, you got to go to like the smaller space that you're actually um, in that price range for. So, you know, I think that right now the environment is that you can negotiate because they'll take what they can get. So you might be able to negotiate more flexible terms. Maybe you you don't have to put down a security deposit. Um, and you can get this, you know, month to month agreement where they understand the environment is that none of us really know if we're going to be returning to our normal offices soon. And so, you know, I think I think it, there's lots of room for negotiation. Mm -hmm. And what are spaces like the one you're in doing about, you know, preventing the spread of COVID-19? What are the protocols? Yeah, that's a good question. And one I'd love to talk about. So this space has been really different than others. It's one of the reasons I wanted to work here because um, they they had all these amenities before. A couple of years ago when I worked here, you would have this shared kitchen where you could get coffee or even get, you know, a latte machine. They had free snacks that would be in this kind of shared bowl space that have tongs you would get them out of. They even had, you know, things on tap like beer or kombucha, that sort of thing. And uh, obviously none of those things you really want anymore, but you also still want access to like a fridge and, a, you know, put your lunch in or you want to be able to get coffee. So the way they've gone about it is the people who used to work the front desk, they also act as uh, baristas would at a coffee shop. So you have to come up to the front desk. Of course, all, you wear a mask and, you know, any shared space, if you're not in your office with the door closed, then you're wearing a mask. Um, so you would go upstairs and ask the front desk people to, um, you know, I'd like to get a cup of coffee. They go put gloves on. They always have masks on and they serve you across a an island that's I think bigger than six feet, just the island itself. So you have quite a bit of um, uh, control over that distance. And they also put up plexiglass uh, barriers in all of their kind of shared areas where there are common areas and common desks. They have put up these plexiglass barriers. They've also installed um, uh, air filters. The What is it? HEPA air filters. Mm -hmm. um, they've done multiple things like that to try and do their best um, to make the, the, the space more safe for the tenants. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, this situation sounds like it's safe and tenable as long as there aren't that too many people in there. But the closer you get to regular capacity, that's where that risk really goes up because everything seems to point to the fact that you need to have good ventilation. Otherwise, chances are it's going to spread. Right, right. And I think that's that's the difficulty is, you know, it's that's a, a question that I probably should have talked to the office manager about is what kind of like capacity max do they have? Is there a certain point where they stop leasing in order to keep that number down? I think right now I just knew that I knew that it was so uh, not populated that I wasn't uh, personally concerned about it. But I can see how, you know, if popularity picks up, how that, that can be more of, of a concern. Mm-hmm. So uh, your decision to lease your own space uh, kind of leans into questions that a lot of white collar workers are having, which is basically what are employers expected to do to make working from home possible? Like uh, there are some members of our staff who, you know, only have a bedroom and they have roommates and they're reporting out of their bedrooms and writing their stories on their bed. And that's not great. Like, what are employers supposed to do to provide the kind of the same workspace amenities that we had when we were at 600 B Street? Right. It's actually, it's like a very, like, fraught topic. And it's one that is um, in its early stages, I think because of a few reasons. One is that right now we're in a state where it's kind of like, well, what else can we do? We're in a, we're in a pandemic and this is the safest way to operate. And so uh, we, we don't really have to have much of a conversation about... Uh, the responsibilities of the employer to the worker. And I think that now that it's, you know, it's been five months and there's a lot of companies looking to make this permanent and their reasoning, and I know this from doing interviews for a separate story, the reasoning is often not because it's like we're concerned about the health, is that they're like, oh, we've realized this actually saves us a lot of money per month and we should always be operating this way. Um, Especially for small businesses, it makes a lot of sense to operate completely remotely. Uh, so when that starts being the reason to go remote and then workers, especially ones that are lower paid or less experienced, uh, kind of suffer disproportionately because they don't have the right setup at home to be comfortable doing that. Then you start wondering, is this an issue of labor that needs more consideration? You know, will there be even lawsuits that arise against employers in the future um, on this topic? So far, it seems like the people, the employers that I've talked to on the topic seem really open to trading off some of their old expenses, like office incidentals and, of course, the, the rent itself. And they say, for those who aren't set up for working from home, we're fine to help supplement a co-working space, like a desk at a co-working space. Or we're fine to help supplement a, an office setup. So if you don't have an ergonomic desk or chair, we'll, help, we'll give you a one-time stipend to help cover that expense. Um, so I think it right now it really depends on the company, the company culture, and also the company finances. Like there are some kinds of companies that seem more prepared to do this than others. Like for example, a lot of the tech companies I've interviewed, you know, they're very they want to incentivize their workers to stay. Still, it's still a competitive uh, area, so they want to make sure that their workers are happy and comfortable. And I've seen a lot of tech companies be like the first to kind of offer those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So um, since publishing this column, what's kind of the general response? So you talk about it a little bit, but kind of could you dive deeper into what you're hearing from people who are kind of in the same boat as you? Yeah. Um, you know, I noticed a, a comment here on the live comments about someone who's saying like, you know, boohoo, I get to work from home during a pandemic. That's the response I expected a lot more of. Like when I, when I was writing this, I was feeling like, 
who am I to be complaining about my works, like my, my life right now? And I put it in my article as well. It was said, you know, I have not had to suffer through being sick with COVID-19 myself. I've not lost a loved one. Um, you know, there's lots of ways that I have been absolutely privileged through this entire experience. I don't, like I said earlier, I don't even have children at home that make working at home difficult. So I expected to publish this and have a lot of people say like, oh brother, you know, but instead uh, I have received, I've never received so many emails, comments, direct messages, such a uh, an, like an outpouring of feedback from readers that was saying, I'm in the exact situation as you. I've been feeling this way for months and I felt like I, could, I couldn't say anything about it. Um, a lot of people expressed interest in doing the same thing. They thought, I didn't even realize you could do that, like rent your own personal space and I'm gonna look into the prices and see if that's something I could do as well. So I think that it's a shared experience. It's not, not everyone is experiencing the same thing that I have, but there are certainly many who are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, as this pandemic and the you know depression that's likely to follow continues, this may be a moment in which the kind of broad social contract of work changes because just like we saw after the Great Depression, you know we had a more functional safety net afterwards after the government decided to change some things. So maybe this will be another time in which the way that we kind of have the transaction of work changes because for many, we're not working from home, we're living at work. Right, exactly, exactly. All right, if uh, I'm someone who has a business question or has uh, some questions about your setup, what's the best way of getting a hold of you? Uh, well, you can reach me on my email, which is just my name, brittany.myling at sdunionjune.com. Um, or you can always reach me on Twitter, which is probably the easiest way. My handle is um, at Brittany Myling. All right, Brittany Myling. Thank you so much. In other news, in recent weeks, crowds at Ocean Beach have grown to hundreds of people Wednesdays, and many vendors selling jewelry, clothing, and food have popped up. These gatherings defy the public health order, and given the density, have the potential to spread COVID-19. The gatherings are known as the Ocean Beach Drum Circle and Fire Dancing, and they coincide with the weekly Farmer's Market, which is organized by the business group Ocean Beach Main Street Association. But the drum circle and the pop-up booths are separate from the farmer's market, and the association does not organize them. Councilwoman Jennifer Campbell, who represents the neighborhood, said in a statement Wednesday that her office will work with the community and she urged the mayor and county to enforce mask wearing in social distancing rules. She said the San Diego Police Department has committed to directing additional resources on Wednesday evenings to handle noise complaint issues. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. If you're curious about how Greater San Diego is working toward building a new future after pandemic and protest, listen to the UT's Luis Cruz on Together San Diego. Every weekday afternoon, join in on conversations with activists, nonprofits, and companies who are finding out ways this moment can change San Diego for the better. Listen in on Facebook. For a guide to all of our live streaming programming, check out the schedule on uniontrip.com. Until next time.